Um, I'm so glad that you guys are here. Are you glad to be in the house of God? You know, the first service was like, uh, yeah, we're not staying up till midnight. So that's why they were here at 8.30, and that's why you're here now. So um, you guys good. I'm Pastor Corey. If we haven't met yet, we would love to, I would love to meet you. This is lovely Pastor Aaron. Every single week. I don't know what kind of year 2023 was, but it brought some of us a lot of hurt that when they say their names, some people cheer a little bit. And then when they say the names of their wives, then people cheer a lot more. I forgive you. It's okay. She's my favorite too. Um, so, so this, uh, this year, I don't know what your outlook is like this year coming into it. I want to just cause you, I just want to like say, say this, relax, relax. God's got this year. It will be the best year of your life. If it is the best year of your life spiritually, if it is the best year spiritually, it will be the best year of your life. Relax, relax. Also, I've called the sermon, uh, the sermon, same problems. Just give me a sec. Um, also, uh, last, I, w- I want to say a huge thank you to the dream team who put on five services, 1300 people. 1,300 people came through the doors last week. So thank you for serving the city in this way. We're um, grateful to be able to serve the, the city uh, with the other churches in town as well. And we love them. We are a church with, uh, we think we're just church with a little C, but there's church with a big C and God is on the move. And so uh, we just, we are just glad to be a part of it. So also help me preach a little bit here. Cause my um, last week, Hey, God gave me, I could preach. I preached five. I couldn't sing any sermons, but my voice was totally shot. And, uh, and so I spent a couple weeks just recovering. And so, but this, I'm still doing the, my ears are all weird. Have you guys ever got that thing where you're like, I can't hear this side of the room. So I don't know if you're there or not. Yeah, feels like circling around and hitting me in here. So anyways, I'm doing a little baby driver this morning. So, um, you guys good? Nobody watches TV. Okay. I am tired of drinking tea though. Once I get over this thing and God gives me my health back, I am never drinking a cup of tea again as long as I live. Thank you, Sean. Do you hate tea too? (laughs) Um, Hey, do you guys see this? Um, Where's Bethany and her kids? They gave me this mug that says, uh, be careful or you'll end up in my sermon, which is true. Actually, uh, so I appreciate that. That was a lovely Christmas gift. And I thought it was uh, hilarious. Hey, um, we have some. So, so if it's going to be your best year, I would start your year like this, January 8th to the 28th. It's um, 21 days of prayer and fasting for venue. And so we're going to invite you to join us in a, in a fast. Now, fasting, what it does is it's saying no to a bunch of things so that you can say yes spiritually and sharpen up spiritually. Because if it's your best year, it's got to be your best year spiritually. So here's some things that I would consider giving up if I was you for 21 days, January 8th to the 28th. Uh, starve some things in your life. Starve some things that you're currently feeding. Like Netflix doesn't need you. I mean, somebody needs to just give up Netflix for 21 days. Imagine what you would do with all the extra time. You could make meals for your kids. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like there's, like, there's a lot you could do with the time that we normally spend doing other things. Some of y'all need to give up YouTube for 21 days. Like cute cat videos are fun but you're 50 years old and you're a guy and it just needs to go. You know, like, it's just like, you can probably hit pause for 21 days. They'll still be there when you get back. 
sugar, fast food. Don't just give up one thing. You know, some of y'all are like, I'm going to fast vegetables. That's my thing that I'm fast at vegetables. Amen. Let's get spiritually sharp. Um, some of y'all are like, I'm going to fast being nice to people. I'm like, you've already been doing that. Not that, that. you've been fasting that. No, don't do that. Um, social media, um, alcohol. I think some of you ought to fa- uh, fast alcohol for 21 days. Come on, say amen. Um, not waking up to an alarm clock. I'm going to shoot that one out there. I'm like, I think it's good to wake up to an alarm clock for 21 days straight. I think that would add a discipline to your life. That would be good for you. Some of you are staring at me as if this is new because you didn't have my dad. Um, waking up to an alarm clock. Some of you, let's, let's change the language that we use at work. You know, uh, it used to impress people that you could curse like a sailor, but now it only impresses sailors and we live in Alberta. So maybe it's time that we start representing the Lord better. So I'm just going to say, let's starve some things. So let's make some things hurt a little bit. Uh, let's feed some other things. Let's read our Bibles. Uh, join you version Bible app. Venue church is in there. Join us. We have a 21 day prayer and fasting plan. We can all go through together. That would be fun. Worship music in your car. Some of the reason that you get to work and you're angry is because you're listening to the news or you're listening to people sing about the devil. I don't know what you listen to, but if you put some worship music in, you'd probably get some worship out by the end of the day. Um, And just other things like that. Join a small group. Uh, There's some small groups coming up. There's a whole bunch of small groups coming up. I would say, so if I could just give you some direction here. If you're returning to faith or you're like new to faith and you've just recently given your life to Jesus, you're starting this relationship, go to Alpha Small Group. Alpha is the place to start. Alpha is like the beginning part of Christianity, getting your questions answered, finding out the basic the basis of Christ relationship, how that works, a Christian worldview, it's going to change your life. So we would direct you into that. If your finances need to get in order, Dave Ramsey's financial freedom group would be great for you. And we have so many other things, you know, we just wish we'd have done that earlier in our marriage, but we offer that to you now. So there's so many others. Just look, look uh, up there. The important thing is that you get into a small group though. What are you guys doing Wednesday? Say about seven o'clock. First Wednesday. All right. So I'm going to say, like, you might have to park next door at Footprints. So uh, thank heavens we have a good relationship with them, uh, which some of you are parked there right now because uh, God is just blessing the church with some growth. I'm going to be talking about the early church this morning and the problems that come with growth a little bit. Um, guess what I'm going to preach on first Wednesday, though? I asked Pastor Aaron, like, what should I preach? And she said, um, because I, I just uh, had done a team talk on Saturday nights from 6 to 8. If you want to grow faster spiritually, the fastest growing spiritual people in the church come here at team night. 6 to 8 on Saturday nights. Uh, we, we just meet together with teams. I give a little kind of behind-the-scenes teaching moment. And if you're not growing there, sometimes you'll get a little bit behind. You know, if you don't come to First Wednesday, if you don't come to church, you get behind spiritually. Everybody else is outgrowing you a little bit. Um, so I was doing a little team teach on I think 2024 is the year to give up bitterness. I think bitterness has crept into your life. I think this is the year that you're going to give it up. And so I'm going to, Pastor Aaron thought, why don't you just expand on that? So I'm going to expand on that on First Wednesday. Let's get free. Let's, let's just not be all wound up in bitterness. Okay, let's get into my sermon. It's called Same Problem. So I don't know if now is a good time to tell you that 2024 is going to have the same problems as 2023. And maybe uh, some more. I don't know about your life, but every time it seems that I fix a problem, I have a new one or possibly two that, that come along. And I think we get fixated on trying to make a life without, a, without problems. Do we have any peacemakers in the house? You're just like one of those people like, I don't want to live in the peace with everybody. Like if we just like played Bob Marley, the whole world would stop fighting, you know. 
You know, just those people like everything in your life is geared towards fixated on just having no more conflict and no more fighting and let's just love each other and put on hippie music and and um, <laughs> come on, amen. <laughs> um, <laughs> and others of you, you know, you come to church or you're here, and your main purpose in coming is that problems actually drove you in here. Um, and so, as I'm preaching, you're like, "Yeah, I got to just fix my wife," you know. Um, <laughs> amen said a very unwise gentleman in the back who will be on the couch for the next month or so. The, the, the thing is, you know, the problems aren't really the problems. And I'm going to be preaching about something today that's, I'm not going to be preaching about the, the problems, although it feels like that. But um, now here's what I want to say. If, if you, if you're reading the Bible, what you're really looking for is specific things, because we live in a culture of like, just give me the formula so that I can get over this. Right. So just tell me about whatever is in your life. But there's not a lot in the, in the Bible about Canadian tax laws. You know what I'm saying? Or like the thing I watched on TV because they didn't have TV in the Bible. You know, so, so there's not a lot of specific stuff about the problem that you might be facing that you might be fixated on. But there's lots in the Bible trying to fix you. So something I'm going to talk about, I'm not going to give you the word that we're going to be talking about for a little bit here, but God wants to do something inside of you today. So the only way to actually shrink your, your, the size of your problems and the number of problems in your life is actually to shrink your life. I don't know if you've thought about this, but, but a bigger life brings more problems uh, with it. <laughs> so come on, we got any single people in the house that thought you understood what stress was. And then you married a guy. And uh, you found out that it wasn't that bad before. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, this is going to solve all my problems. I'm like, no. You added a whole bunch of problems to your problems. You know, or, or you're a couple and you want to have a child. And you're like, a child will solve our marriage problems. And I'm like, it will not. If your marriage is drowning, a child is like, here's a baby. Uh, and so, <laughs> you know, you're like, I, I, want, I want more in life, but I want fewer problems. You have to understand that as... As your life gets bigger, more problems are added to it. You know, you want the promised land. Well, the promised land has problems like armed soldiers trying to kill you. The wilderness, you know, everybody in the wilderness is like, oh, we have so many problems. You know, <laughs> and this is like, no, not really, because you're not even fighting anything but me. You know, like, so as you step into, God wants to. There's something I'm going to be preaching about today that actually acts like a shrink ray to your problems. So that it's not, it's not your life that has to get smaller so your problems get smaller. It actually shrink rays something that has nothing to do with your problems and something that's inside of you that would actually shrink the problem itself. So there's also, if you get this thing wrong, it also works to magnify problems. Um, I don't know if they sell these anymore, but when I was a kid, they had these little dinosaur things that you bought at the store and you unwrap them and then you put them in a bowl or on a pan and then you added water to them. You remember that? And then the dinosaur got big, right? So if this thing is out in your life, it will actually magnify the, the dinosaur or the problem. In fact, what it will do, if this thing is off in your life and you're not getting this right, you're not living according to the scriptures and according to what God wants you to in this area uh, inside of you, it will actually bring a, it'll, it'll carry a pocket full of, of dinosaurs with you into rooms that may not have problems, toss them into the room, water them, and bring a problem into the room with you that didn't even, wasn't even there before. 
if this thing is wrong. Now, as I say this thing, you're not going to really agree with it because you don't think that you have control over it. Uh, but in fact, you're the only one uh, who does. Now, I'm going to talk about my dad a little bit. Do you guys know Pastor Richard? I don't know if he's serving. Pastor Richard, he's retired now, but we call him Pastor out of respect. And my dad is, um, he's the best guy at Venue Church. He's the best person at Venue Church of this by far, like way more than me. Um, he taught me how to do this. Now, now, he is our best example of this, I think, in the church. And so, um, so my dad, one time, he, um, careful or you'll be in one of my sermons. That's so true. Um, my dad, so let me give you a little bit of his history. So my dad um, grew up on a farm that his, his father, my grandfather, started. Grandfather came from the Ukraine with $12 in his pocket, didn't speak English, so he had some problems. Then he wanted to start a farm out of nothing. So we're talking kind of about, about big problems. Uh, my dad is born into this. He's the second, second born. He's the firstborn son, though, by five years. So, and they're starting a whole work. And his father, my grandfather, was extremely sickly. So his body could not handle the work of the farm, probably because what he suffered in the Ukraine, you know, in the famines or whatever it was. And so he came, he would come home sometimes. He would go to town with a truck and bring feed in. And then, and then all he could do was just, he would fall out of the truck, crawl into the house and lie down for the rest of the day. That's all that he had in his body. So my dad from a very, very young age would then have to go and do all of the work of the farm. And my dad said to me, by the time he was 14, I remember as a young man, him telling me by the time I was 14, he said, I was basically running the farm and I could work with men all day. Now, as I say, work with men all day. And as I say, 14 years old. I'm thinking of the 14-year-olds I know who couldn't even. You know, you don't even understand, Mom. I can't get out of bed before 10. I'm exhausted. I have been up playing video games all night. And I'm thinking of that mental toughness in him. And I asked him one time, are you ready? The kicker's coming. I asked him, I said, Dad, do you ever feel like you missed your childhood? Because your entire childhood was like a slave on the farm. Because if the crop didn't come in, your brothers died. Now, sometimes you want that to happen, but most of the time you shouldn't. And so you've got to work like a slave or your family dies. Like there's no other option. There's no other way. There's no other, nobody else is going to feed you. You've got to do this thing. And I said, did you ever feel like you missed your childhood? And he says to me, you ready? He just looks kind of confused and says, no. He says, I like working. And my Gen X brain went, you liked, you like working, you liked it. His secret was he decided his mood about it completely outside of his problem. He decided what mood he was going to have about the problem outside of the problem. See, all y'all Canadians right now are like, if anything happens to you, oh my goodness, if the Starbucks line is slow. <laughs> I was on Starbucks on Boxing Day and I was sick and I sat there for 25 minutes and it's the only time I've ever sat anywhere for 25 minutes because I was sick. I was that sick and I'm just like sitting there with Ailish. I'm like, I'm, I guess I'm cool. I'm just going to sit here for 25 minutes and wait for my coffee. <laughs> decided his mood outside of the problem. 
This year is going to be, you're going to have the same problems. You're going to have more problems than you had in 2023. But because you're going to decide your mood outside of your problems, it's going to be the best year that you've ever had. See, because he decided his mood was going to be good about, like, if I want to go to baseball, he would say, uh, cause he had sports and he's like, if I want to go to baseball though, I got to get all the chores done. Then I got to ride my bike seven miles to town and my bike's got no air in the tires and it's six feet of snow and it's uphill both ways. My brother and I would elaborate and there's no seat and that's super uncomfortable. And we would just like make the story up and he's like, but if he wanted to go to practice, he had to ride his bike to town and ride his bike back to town. And you know what he decided about that? That he liked baseball and that he liked riding his bike and that he liked doing chores. I wish I could bottle that and sell it to you rather than just preach it to you because I'd be rich. His mood that he decided stole the power from his problems. Stole all the power from him. You couldn't put him down. You couldn't make him. I asked him one time because he used to be a heavy smoker. I said, Did, when you stopped smoking, like, was it hard? And he goes, no, I just quit. And I'm like, I'm not hearing that from people trying to quit smoking. And then my mom's like, it wasn't that easy. <laughs> but it's just his attitude of like, no, I just quit. I was like. <laughs> now the devil is trying to take your problems and make you septic with them. He's trying to take your problems and make you septic with them. He's trying to poison you. He's trying to get it in your blood. He's trying to get it in your heart. He's trying to get your problems in your head all the time. And what I realized my dad did and what we were forced to do growing up in my dad's home was what my dad did with his mood is he used his mood to build a conduit and he built a septic field for it. So he built, he took all of the bad things that happened in his life and he built a conduit down to a septic field. That's also the harvest field and used it as fertilizer for the dreams that God gave him. That or the only other option is that all of the garbage that happens to you or you do, you just create, you just pick up pails of septic stuff. Do we know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And then you just carry it around with you and the odor follows you everywhere. And then every now and again, you dump it in somebody else's yard because you're tired of carrying it around. And then they're like, thank you. I needed all your problems and my problems. I have a problem in my life right now. My wife used to think I was funny. And every day I trot out new material. But I have a good attitude about it. And I'm not going to bring it up in public in front of everybody. All you young guys are like, my wife's going to think I'm funny forever. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> my dad pastored for over 30 years in a small religious town. And when I say religious, I don't mean religious, good religious. I mean good religious, bad religious. Well, Bad religious people are people who kind of follow all the forms of things and um, say they love Jesus but hate people. So that's a little weird. Um, and he pastored in a difficult place in a small church because God told him to. I watched as a pastor's kid, Christians do all sorts of crazy stuff to them, betray them, lie about them. Our main character today, Christians are lying, you know, like church people are lying about him. Make, like literally make up stuff. And as a pastor's kid, you're watching all of this. But then I realized 
I asked my dad one time, how is it that you didn't get discouraged and bitter over all this time? And he says to me, I decided, I decided it was better than the alternative. And I said, what's the alternative? And he says, being six feet in the ground. And I said, it is better than that, actually. And so you know what? He helped me build a conduit so that I wouldn't get bitter at church people with church people problems. So I just like build the pipeline with my mood and I just smile and I'm like, let's just take that down to the harvest field. Yeah. All y'all don't know what church people problems are. They're like regular people problems, but smaller. <laughs> like a lot smaller. Like I'm upset about this thing. You know what I'm currently upset about right now is I watched an ambulance pull up to my neighbor's house and uh, Grandma Mary fell down the stairs and they thought she was dead and she's in the hospital now for a few weeks and it's bad. So I think of this family who's not going to heaven right now because they have no connection with Jesus. And I'm thinking, that's a real problem. And I, then I come to church and then I deal with church people problems and I create my own church people problems. And I'm like, oh my goodness. You need to create a conduit that goes down to this place of like, let's actually fertilize, use the problems to fertilize the harvest field so that God can cause something to grow out of something the devil's trying to use to poison you. A good mood shrinks the size of the problem. It shrinks the size of the problem. And you're like, but it doesn't actually shrink the size of the problem. Watch this, watch this. Who cares if the mountain gets smaller or your legs get stronger? It's the same thing. It shrinks the size of the mountain. Does it really? I don't know. But you got stronger. You got bigger. He who is in you got bigger than the mountain. Now, here's the problem with a bad mood. It's like carrying around a pocket full of dinosaurs. It, it, a bad mood actually makes you the mountain. It makes you the main character of the problem. You don't understand the thing about the problem that we're going to find out in the scripture today. You shouldn't be the main character of your problem. You're completely missing. Completely missing how God is looking at it. Listen, a bad mood never made anything better for you. Not one time. Not one time did it bring hope to you or to anybody. Not one time did it help you solve a problem. Not one time did it make one friend. It lost some. Not one time did it make do anything but make everything worse. Being in a bad mood. A bad mood blames anybody and everybody for it except itself. A person in a bad mood is never like, you know what the problem is? I'm in a bad mood. It never looks at itself and is like, you know who the real problem is here in the middle of an argument? It's me. I just woke up and I was hungry and I haven't figured that out yet in my life. We tell the kids, I mean, if you've got boys in the Sunday school class over there and they're full of angst, feed them. That's the problem. <laughs> now, some of you grew up in a different home, you know. Uh, my home, I grew up in, I was not allowed to be in a bad mood about anything ever. So you're like, oh, that's so hard. I'm like, no, it's actually beautiful. It's, it is hard because dad would be like, I don't care if your brother called you fat and he did all the time. He's like, your mood is you though. That's your decision. He can't make that for you. You can only make that for you. <laughs> you like that? That's true. He did that, Sean. He did that and it hurt. <laughs> and then I hurt him and then my dad disciplined me and that hurt too. Pastor Erin grew up in a different kind of a home, though. So her home, bad moods were just more accepted and more expected and all of these things. 
And one time her mom asked her, and I asked her if I could share this. And I know all y'all are like, oh, are you okay with the stories that he shares about you? And I'm like, yeah, because I asked her. And so uh, she, 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 one time she was in a bad mood about this. Her mom's like, can you take these boxes of vegetables down the stairs? And she's like, you know, you know, teenagers, when you get asked to do something, you're the only one in the house that anybody ever has to do anything. And like your sister never has to do anything at all, ever. And so she's like, why doesn't Lord have to carry those vegetables down the stairs? You know, she's like, and then she goes, I'm going to teach you, I'm going to carry them all at once. And her mom's like, just carry a box at a time. She's like, no, I'm going to carry them all at once. And so she goes down the stairs and missed a step and then spread the vegetables all over the stairs. And I got to ask this, you know, like, was it a real problem carrying the vegetables down the stairs or maybe the, without the bad attitude? And that's exactly what happens. You trip and fall down the stairs and then the veggies go all down the stairs too. So it's this idea of like, I'm in a bad attitude. I'm going to fix all these problems myself. I'm going to do this just to teach you a lesson. I'm going to, yeah, well, one has to beg the question that if you were in a better mood that was defined by scripture and not defined by somebody around you or defined by your own mood, giving something control that should never have control or giving the problem the keys to your mood. Oh, well, then the devil's like, oh, all I have to do is give them problems. The mood of one person today in scripture is literally responsible for millions upon millions of people going to heaven. Now, one person, he was not a big deal in the early church. You're going to find out about this. It started with a problem and some people got a bad mood about the problem in the early church as believers rapidly multiplied. Now there's like hundreds. Now there's thousands of them. There were rumblings of discontent. Why? Because look, it's more complicated than you think. As the church gets bigger, it's more complicated than you think. As your family gets bigger, it's more complicated than you think. When you have one kid, you know who you asked to do stuff because there's only one kid. When you have four kids like I have, I can't remember who I asked to do stuff, and they know that I can't remember that. <laughs> and so then it's like, I don't, did you say that? I can't remember who you said that. And if they wait around long enough, I'll just look for the guilty kid and just blame them for it and just be like, I feel like you're guilty. So the rumblings of discontent. Shouldn't everybody be happy as the church grows? I think so. Unless they don't get what they want. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows are being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So they were kind of living together. And in the daily distribution of food, the Hebrew-speaking widows were getting their portion. And maybe somebody missed the Greek-speaking ones. Watch what happens, though. Watch what happens because they allowed a bad mood in here. Then these guys start looking over at these guys and start ascribing all sorts of intent over here. We're being discriminated against. I'm like, there's thousands of people. You just got missed. Like, it's a problem. We'll try to fix it. But now it's like, we got discriminated. Everything in our society right now is like, you don't believe what I believe? You are discriminating against me. I'm like, well, that's not going to help you get happy. Can we deal with the issue? You want to deal with the actual issue? Or do you want to make the issue a throw a dinosaur in there in the room and water it. We are being discriminated against because we don't speak the same language and you guys are racially, whoa, 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 whoa. So then the 12 apostles got again involved and they called a meeting and they said, why are you mad at us, you knuckleheads? No, that's what I'd have said. Um, they're like, we're fishermen. We don't know what we're doing. Here's what, here's what if I'm Peter, here's what I'm thinking. Because people with properties and houses were selling everything. Like they were selling their cars to feed these people. And Peter's like, do you not see what's happening here? Yeah, of course somebody got missed. Why y'all mad? Why is your, why you get a bad mood right now? Then, then they said this, they said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. 
It's like, this is great, but we're not here to do this. We've got to teach the word of God. We can feed you all the food in the world, but if we starve you spiritually, that's what we answer for. And if you're starving spiritually, you're going to have the worst year ever. doesn't matter how well you eat. And so they, they get into this. Um, and so brothers, it's like the early days of the church plan. When, the, when pastor is not just like teaching and leading, pastor is literally, you remember those days? We would set up the stage, and our stage team had four systems running simultaneously. Everything was being handled on the fly. It was a freaking nightmare. <laughs> I would have 30 seconds sometimes to change my clothes and come out and lead worship. 30-second <laughs> bumper video, me drop my guitars, and then we could get up and preach. And sometimes in that 30 seconds, somebody would come over with a piece of paper in their hands and be like, Pastor, I have a question. And I'd be like, what's happening? Like, everything's happening now. We're not going to be able to start on time, you know. And I'd be like, what does a piece of paper say? And this person said, it says bass guitar. And I said, well, maybe you should walk it over to the bass guitar. And they said, okay, thank you. We did the funeral later that day. The, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But it's just like, hey, this is not what we're here for. Like, come on. This is why we need volunteers. You need to get on the dream team so that we can serve more people. And then, so they said, and so brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and full of the spirit and wisdom. We'll give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time praying and teaching the word. It was what we ought to do. Now, now some people, when they come into church, they want to jump straight into spiritual leadership. We put you straight into actual serving. Is what we do here. Because we, we don't think if you, if you can't do this, I don't think that you can do this. I think if you drop the ball here and don't care about enough about the details and about people here, I don't think you're going to care about details and people here. So we would rather give you something that if you get it wrong, we can correct that doesn't destroy a bunch of people. Of like, you know, opening the door for people, doing the parking lot, like doing very practical things, you know. I can say I love my kids, but if I don't practically put food on the table, do I really do that? And by food on the table, Pastor Aaron puts food on the table because I can't cook. But I pay for it. All right. Now, these seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them and laid hands on them. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem because seven guys, watch this, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. That's not an easy thing to do. I wonder if the Jewish priests saw how the early church was doing things and how they were serving. I wonder if they didn't watch the mood there and say like, that's what organized religion should have looked like this entire time. But they've been starving themselves a little bit because God hadn't spoken through the prophet in 400 years. And so when Jesus came, they couldn't really recognize him. But some of these guys are like, there's something that's working here. There's something of the order of God in here that we like. Now, here's the thing. The church increases. So the problems themselves didn't get smaller. They actually got multiplied. But they put seven guys in the right mood who were energized by the problems. Who loved the problems. Who loved the people through the problems. And then it says this, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. Stephen, full of God's grace and power. You're like, all I'm doing is to serve in the kids ministry, full of grace and power. He's like, this is not just, this is not a problem. This is a platform. Without the problem, I don't even have a platform. And he's like, I don't think, I don't think all y'all Greeks are upset about the Hebrews and the language thing. I don't think that's what you're upset about. How's your marriage doing? How's it, How's your, let me pray for you. Are you worried about your neighbors? Let me pray about that. Are you worried about your teenagers? I think that's what you're worried about. Let me, let me pray about that. 
Are you worried that you look sick today? Let me pray about that. Mighty miracles. The power of God starts exploding through his ministry. His mood made the, the problem a platform for the power. His mood made the problem a platform for the power. Now the right mood makes the problem the platform for God to move. And so they persuaded some men. So what happened was in his dealings in the community, he would go and he would be like just feeding people and waiting tables and just doing this stuff and organizing and just making sure that everybody's taken care of. And then the community starts coming and people start arguing with him. And we don't know this guy's background, but it's like God dropped his revelation and his wisdom on him. Nobody could beat him in an argument about the scriptures. And it said they couldn't even like they couldn't stop his his he's preaching about Jesus. And there's just something about him that is irresistible and they can't stop. So what they have to do is they persuaded some men to lie about him, saying we heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. This roused the people, the elders, and the teachers of religious laws. So they arrested Stephen and brought him before the high council. So here's what I want to say. Here's my goal for you this year, is that for somebody to criticize you in the sense of, of for somebody to have to drag you down, I don't want them to be able to find fault in your wisdom in your service, in your attitude, in your words, in your treatment of people, I want them to have to make something up at work about you. I mean, just make it up out of scratch. Make it up out of nothing. The lying witnesses said, this man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses. We've heard him say this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs Moses handed down to us. None of these things are true. What Jesus did with the temple was that he put the temple inside of you. What he did with the customs of Moses was that he closed them all up, fulfilled them all. At this point, everyone in the high council in a bad mood. <laughs> Doesn't matter how high you rise. Can I say this? If you are in a bad mood, all the position and all the authority and all the power and all the resource in the world are going to help the people that you're supposed to help. Stephen is coming in in the lowest place with a good attitude. He's unstoppable. These guys had the responsibility and they weren't doing it. They were mad at Stephen because he was doing better than they were doing. Everyone in the high council stared at Stephen because his face became as bright as an angel's. This is not like scripture exaggerating. His face became as bright as an angel's. First of all, can I just look at what is an angel? An angel is a messenger. That's really what an angel means. An angel of the Lord is a messenger of the Lord. So what the scripture is trying to tell us is that his face was as bright as an angel's, meaning he was not there representing himself. He was there representing Jesus. He's like, I can be in the middle of this horrible problem right now. And I can represent the Lord Jesus in this. And my face can look like I think his face looks right now. No matter what's going on around me, it's not happening in here. So I'm going to represent the Lord Jesus in his words. And he preaches a sermon that tears the roof off of this place. They are so convicted by this. Now, if you didn't grow up in church, you don't know this is coming. They take him out and all the men take off their robes and get down to their gym shorts and pick up stones and kill him. Throw stones at him and kill him while his face looks like the face of an angel. Somebody else saw that face that day. His name was Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus, it says that the men came and laid their, their coats down at his feet. He was the coat check guy. He's like, you go and murder this guy, and I'll make sure that you get your stuff back. Saul of Tarsus. You don't know that Saul became converted and became Paul the apostle. Watched a man get killed with the look of an angel on his face.
One man's mood. One man's mood. Nothing about this was fair. Nothing was right. He was just trying to help people. One man's mood converted this man. This man wrote half of the New Testament by the will of God. Millions upon millions upon millions of people have come to faith because of this man, because of that man. And you're in your situation right now and you think that you're powerless and you think that nobody sees you, but somebody does see you. You just can't see what's going to happen if this situation doesn't turn out the way that you want it to. But you have control over one thing and that is your mood and your mood can shift the spiritual realm. And I want to give you something real practical today. You know what your problem is? It's your face. It's your face. And I have authority to preach about this. Preach it, pastor. Pastor's right. Preach it. Teach us what you know. Because I used to be the most depressing, introverted. Not that there's something wrong with that. I'll tell you what. I used to be moody. I felt like God one day was like, look at your face in a mirror. You want to talk to you? And I'm like, no, not really. And my dad used to say, smile. Put a smile on your face. Put a smile on your face. Put a smile on your face. I don't feel like smiling. Smile. It's hard to criticize somebody when you're smiling. Hard to be angry about a problem when you're not angry about the problem anymore. It's hard to hate what you just said that you liked. Come on, somebody. (laughs) Do you have the face of an angel when you walk into the room or do you... Could you suck the face off an angel when you walk into the room? You know what I'm saying? Some of y'all are emotional vampires. You walk in, everybody got to figure you out. Everybody got to figure out how you're feeling and everybody. Why don't you bring something with you? Why don't you bring the joy of the Lord into the room with you? If you've ever seen me here on a, on a Saturday night or anytime, when I walk out of my office, which is back there, and I don't want to tell you where it is. When I walk out of there and there's people in the building, as soon as I walk out and turn the corner, because my dad made me. I want to come in. I want to come in to the room. I want there to be a spark in me that lights a spark in you. I want to poke fun at the problems that you think you came in with because they're nothing compared to what God wanted to do. I want you to love your problems. I want you to be like, oh, pastor doesn't think this is that serious. No, actually, I think you could do all things through Christ who gave you strength. I don't think you need to mope around and give the devil glory in your face anymore. I think you need to look at what God is doing and let your face show everybody and the devil what's coming. And here's, here's what I want to say. I want to leave you with this quote. You ready? Smiles that don't touch your eyes are lies. Go look in a mirror. You'll see what I'm talking about. Smile. Watch when I smile, I go. I get mischievous. I get full of faith. I get full of belief. It didn't change the problem. It just made me bigger.